0: What type of legacy are you leaving? That's going to be kind of the idea that we're going to talk about today, and honestly, I joked the first two services, like, we could just wrap up, tell Dallas we did it in one sentence, and uh, got out way earlier than he usually does, so we can head out of here. But what type of legacy are you leaving? Uh, That's going to be what we're talking about today. You can turn to Psalms 18 if you'd like to. That would be really great. Um, My name is Pat, uh, as Tracy said earlier. I'm the executive pastor of Families at our church, and I uh, just love being out here at Harrison Bridge, uh, partly because you guys are just um, used to getting yelled at so much that when I come, it's just like a breath of fresh air, I feel like. Uh, y'all are like, oh man, thank you. I don't have to leave this place like battered up a little bit. So uh, just kidding. Um, Dallas isn't that bad. He doesn't yell that much, I don't think. Um, but uh, anyway, pray that downtown where Dallas is preaching this morning still has people there next week. That would be a really good thing. Um, they don't walk away limping too much. Uh, that would be really good. Um, we're talking about this idea of uh, what type of legacy are you leaving? My grandfather is 96 years old and about six weeks ago shot in 86 playing golf. Um, wow. Just an incredible uh, kind of person. And if you hang out with him, I've got videos of him swinging when I played with him just a few months ago. Um, just an incredible individual uh, health wise and everything else doing exceptionally well. Um, but I'm hoping that the legacy he's leaving to my kids' grandkids or whatever down the road is not one day, you know, 100 years from now, they'll be like, you know, I had a great-great-great-grandfather who was playing golf in his 90s. You know, what I hope is the legacy he's leaving is actually so much more than that. As my grandfather grew up in New England, he was uh, one of three boys, he was the middle child, and both of his brothers were atheists in life. But my grandfather raised his kids to love Jesus. My grandfather was faithful to church, while my uh, dad was growing up, um, my grandfather raised uh, my dad and his brother uh, to know the Lord, and and the generation that he has raised up under his legacy is way different because of his commitment to the Lord, not necessarily because he plays golf. And so today when we talk about legacy, I want us to think about legacy that truly matters because I know that if you're like me, I have uh, two kids both in middle school now, which is a little crazy this year, like just... Uh, adjusting to that, um, but my son is like a miniature version of me. like if you can imagine me with hair um, and uh, way skinnier, then that would be him and uh, and no beard yet he 's still in eighth grade this's got a little ways to go on that one, um, but he 's just like me, and I told him the other day I was like, man if i 'm too hard on you, just know i 'm seeing all the problems of myself in you, okay so I'm trying to help you out. So don't feel like I'm against you, I'm for you, you know, so we had a real open talk about all that. Um, It was real good, and my daughter is a miniature version of my wife, uh, pretty much in every way, and so um, it's like, she's daddy's girl, we get along really great, because me and her mom get along pretty great, you know, so that just works out, Um, but I know that if you're like me, sometimes you, uh, when you were growing up, you're like, I'm not going to be that parent, right, my dad did this wrong, I'm not going to be that guy. And then when you become a dad, you say something and you're like, that was my dad, you know? And you're like, where did that come from? Um, Because I told myself I would not be that way. Um, And you're like, all right, maybe dad knew a few things I didn't know um, back then. Um, But we we are, we're leaving a legacy. Sometimes it's automatic uh, like that. We're just picking things up because we're in the same room. Sometimes it's intentional. You and I are leaving a legacy and it's not a matter of, of if you leave a a legacy it's a matter of what kind of legacy are you leaving uh david near the end of his life uh, writes this psalm and you can find this psalm in second samuel chapter 22 and in chapter 23 literally david's final words is how that's described so this is near the end of his life or almost word for word identical in second samuel 22. Um, in psalm 18 this is david's final words it's almost as if him saying to Israel, this is the legacy that I plan to leave for you. I want you to hear my heart. I want you to see what God has done in my life. I want you to live a certain way and understand God a certain way so that your life is important and matters more than you're giving it credit for. Because God needs to be at the center of it. I think sometimes we... um, we, we kind of think we're in control of things, and sometimes we're not really in control, or like we, we think we've got something figured out, and maybe we don't have it figured out. Um, I was joking earlier about a friend of mine who named his son Jake uh, several years back, and um, he's like, I didn't want to name him one of those trendy names, like Brendan, or Forrest, or whatever, and I was like, will you realize that Jacob's the number one name for boys this year? And he's like, yeah, but I'm talking about trendy names. I was like, I think you also don't know what the word trendy means Um, (laughs) because you picked number one, like, on the trend. Um, And so, but I know what he meant to say, like, uh, hipster or whatever at the time because that was the thing 15 years ago. Um, But at the end of the day, like, sometimes we think we're in control. I grew up uh, where I went to high school in the 90s, and, like, the goth thing got real popular, and everybody's like, I'm going to be unique. And then you're like, I can't even tell you apart. Like, y'all all have the same eyeliner on. Like, I don't even know who's who at this point. And, um, and so in some ways, like, we try to be unique and we try to feel like we're being individ- individualistic. But really, it may be we're joining something that's outside of our control. I think when we uh, even talk about college football, this is the only thing I'm going to say about college football, promise. Um, I kind of joked around about this because people will come up to me and be like, man, your dogs looked good yesterday and y'all played great. And I'm like, well, I mean, I sat on a couch and <laughs> ate boiled peanuts yesterday. Um, and uh, I, they did good, though. I mean, I watched those guys play and they were awesome. And, um, and it's like, I wasn't at practice with them. <laughs> like, I wasn't in the locker room like, hey, if y'all could wrap this up. Like, I got some things going on in the afternoon, need to cut the grass. Like, I didn't have any conversations with the team at all. I just happened to be born in that state, and that's why I root for this team, right? Um, And so it's funny how much we can kind of tie ourselves and even our own satisfaction, our joys, our ups and downs, or our successes and our failures to other people and other things, isn't it? And and so you and me both allow other people to dictate whether we feel like we're doing well. You and me are allowing other people to dictate how well I'm going to feel today to the point where my last church was in Athens, Georgia, and our attendance and giving would be down on Sundays, the day after Georgia lost a football game, which is crazy because partly because they were like, yep, happened again, boys, we lost one, like you just didn't want to see other people. I get it. But man, it was, it was a painful thing for us because at the end of the day, what mattered is something that really shouldn't matter in the scope of things. Here's the thing as we talk about the crown in the life of David. The crown was never David's. It was always God's. Wow. And this whole story, the crown was never David's. David's the king, but there's something so much greater going on in this whole story. And it's the fact that God had the crown all along. We put ourselves in the center of that story. It's so myopic for us to put ourselves in the center and yet we try to steal the glory that God deserves. I'll be honest with you. This is easy, easily done. It's easy to be arrogant. It's easy to go, I'm really good at this job. I'm the best one in the office. I'm the, I'm the best at building this thing. I'm the best at crunching these numbers. I'm the best at lifting these weights. I'm the best at filling in the blank, right? Like I'm the best at craft books or whatever or crafting. I don't even know what you call them. And like what well, that stuff, right? Like I'm the best at it. And it's easy for us to become arrogant. And, and I think part of this problem is that we've got to acknowledge that we cannot find our own strength. We've got to find our strength in the Lord or we're doomed for failure. That's good. We create our, ourselves even a victim sometimes. So maybe it's even the opposite. Some of us are arrogant. Um, the other ones of us just become victims. Man, I don't know. I just, I grew up in a tough place and a hard time and we, we've got to learn to trust the Lord in all things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now Psalms chapter 18, as we get here, at the end of David's life, we've talked the past few weeks about this. David um, really being anointed as king and then still serving under Saul. He didn't see Saul as an enemy. He saw Saul as the king. He just thought and knew that he was going to be the next king. And so he served Saul and he served uh, even to the point where Saul was actually out to kill David and David was on the run and had opportunities to kill Saul and didn't kill Saul during that time. And even last week we heard about Absalom, his son, who was trying to usurp David from the throne. It's just interesting for me to think about a king in these days having to be so strong and so tough that if you're not tough enough, somebody else might just try to like cut your head off and take the throne from you. Like, that's just a crazy idea. You know? Now it's all like political moves, and they're like, so what did you really say about that resolution? Like, but back then it's like, all right, bro, let's go down. And if I be, win this fight, then I'm going to be the new king, Okay. And so his son like sends David again back out into hiding. And um, when his son died, it would be easy for David to come home and be like, you know, hey, um, I told that joker, you know, ever touched raised him different, but he didn't want to live that way. And so this is what it gets you. So kids, listen to your parents because I'm the king. Uh, but he came home and he mourned. He mourned the loss of his son. Uh, he, he mourned where he was as a king who has had to come back into. This place that his son really defiled in many ways, as we talked about last week. Such a challenging thing. And then David decides near the end of his life, he wants to start making peace with some of these people that he's done wrong. And I think the Philistines even saw that as a weakness. And so um, they started to wage war against him. And they started sending more giants, kind of like Goliath, his way. They were sons of giants. And maybe, um, maybe the son of Goliath, I, I don't know, because uh, that would have been great if he was like... You killed my father, prepare to die, because one of them actually had six fingers uh, on both of his hands and six uh, toes on each of his feet, so uh, go figure. I just, I don't know what that would look like if a giant walks up and he has like 12 fingers, I would be like, I'm so confused, like what do you want? Like I got, you can have anything you need, you need my PIN number, you got it, like uh, just leave me alone please, because I don't know what is happening with you, Um, uh, but the Bible actually says he could count to 24, so that was really good. Um. (laughs) And so these, these giants come his way, and David actually almost gets killed in the midst of all that. His mighty men are like, hey, you need to, you need to hang back. You need to stay back in the castle. Uh, you stay back in your home. Stay back in your place because uh, this lamp that, that David, uh, they referred to him as a light, is going to be uh, turned off. It's going to be uh, snuffed out. And so they're like, you're getting to the age where if you're out here with us, this could actually harm you. I think that's interesting that David, even as an older man, is still out there on the field, right? Still out there doing the thing to where people are like, "Now, bro, we need to take care of you. So David writes this psalm near the end of his life. And that's where he's coming from, the end of his reign. And I think it's interesting that in many of our lives, um, we don't know men who have the head of a giant on the shelf in their office that are also writing poetry and songs, right? Like, those guys don't exist today. They're either, like, in the woods, wiping blood all over their face, and like, yeah, let's kill some deer. And you're like, you know about eight words, and that's all you got. Um, you know. Or you've got, like, the opposite uh, version of that. And somehow David encompasses all of those things. Um, But let me ask you this question just in regards to our legacy as we move forward. If today was your last day on this earth, how, how would you spend it? What would you spend it doing? Would you be like, I'm going to catch up on my TV shows and see what Ted Lasso's up to or whatever? Or would you watch football or would you cut the grass or would you, what would you do? What would you spend your time doing? That, that's the question that I think a lot of us can think when we think about our legacy. Because we spend so much of our time concerned and worried about things that at the end of the day are relevant. Now, my grass is still growing. It's growing right now. I get it. You need to cut your grass. What I'm saying is, sometimes the things that we often are not intentional about in life are the things that matter most. Sometimes the things that we neglect are the things that actually matter more. So David reminds us here in Psalm, which Psalm 1850, the very last verse, we're only going to read a few verses out of here. It's 50 verses long. I do want to encourage you to Read the whole thing. But the very last verse says, great salvation He brings to His King and shows steadfast love to His anointed, to David and His offspring forever. It's a reminder that this, this psalm is for you and I as well. So as we read this, we're not adding something to Scripture. We're not adding something to what that application is for us. This is something that is applicable for you and me as His offspring as those who've come behind, Jesus being the, the real David. J- Jesus being the true David. And we as His children can, can actually learn from this. The Psalms are written with that in mind. I think it's easy for us to grab Scripture, so let me just say this as a side note. It's easy for us to grab Scripture and kind of pick something and be like, okay, I'm going to claim this in my life. But not everything in Scripture can be claimed that way. Now, this Bible is true. We use the word infallible. It's perfect. There's not a word in here that is not true or accurate. I believe it's trustworthy. I believe it's reliable. I believe it's applicable to every part of our day. Um, here's the thing, though. There are things in Scripture that are not written for you, right? Or that may not be a truth. For instance, there are true quotes of the devil talking, but I don't want you to take that quote and start applying it to your life. The devil actually said it. That doesn't mean it's true for us, right? So what we have to do as we read Scripture, we have to say, what is the context of what's here? And Psalms here is contextually for us to learn from what David is trying to tell us. So the first thing this morning is the first three verses we're going to read is dependence on God. David's dependence on God. He starts by saying this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies david realized that he needed to be dependent on god on everything Dependent on god in everything in his life i love the the military type references here as he says my rock my fortress my deliverer my shield my horn of salvation my stronghold my refuge this is a guy who has spent some time on the battlefield this is a guy who spent some time in the wilderness It's a guy who really knew what it was like to kind of have his back up against the wall, right? And somebody seeking his life or seeking the life of his men. He knew that a fortress is important, right? Like, have you ever been to one of those castles in in, uh, Europe or or anywhere? I've only been to one in Ireland. Um, But, like, they're even designed so that when you're going up the stairwell, you're going up um, counterclockwise so that your right arm, which most people being right-handed... It's harder to attack somebody around the corner like that. So as people are coming down from the castle, they can attack you. Having a fortress is, is such a, a place of strength. It's such a place of protection. And what David is saying is God is our protection. He is our shield. He is the one who is watching over us and protecting us. We can depend on him. Now this kind of hyperbole, I know y'all are used to, because Dallas preaches every week. He loves the extreme, but he's just saying here, this kind of example, we need to be reminded that our safety, our own safety, can be in the hands of the Lord. We can depend on God because He's dependable. We can trust God because He's trustworthy. He, he deserves our dependence on Him. I'll be honest, like... um, I, some of y'all might be, I hope I'm not uh, offending anybody, some of y'all might be the Jesus juker in the room, you know, where you're like, hey, uh, where should we go to dinner tonight? And be like, have you prayed about it? You know, you, you know that person, like everything you do, like, have you prayed about it though? Like, well, okay, let's assume when I ask you a question, I've already prayed about it. Uh, let's just start with that. So I don't know if like you have those friends in your life, um, but I've, I've had those friends in the past and it's good. I, but at the end of the day, that's, that's what true dependence is, right? It really is about saying, I want to pray about decisions in my life that matter. I'm going to spend time asking what God's opinion is on the things that truly are going to be important. I do care what God says in my life. Deep hum- this is John Piper, a quote from him: deep, humble dependence on God has produced world-changing achievements. Man, we need to have a deep, humble dependence on who God is. It's going to change the world around us when we realize that God's ways are way better than our ways. I tell people all the time, I disagree with God all the time. I just know I'm the one that's wrong. right? And when we depend on God, it's like saying I'm trusting Him in spite of realizing that I may be the one that's wrong in this situation. I'm going to depend on Him because He's dependable. I'm going to trust Him because He's trustworthy. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by Him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's saying God is the creator of the universe and holds everything together in His hands. Surely you can trust Him with this. I was like, I've always been independent right? Like we're taught to be independent. I was the kid that like my dad uh, told me ever since I was a little kid, like I was making my own choices and my own decisions. And um, that's hard because I have one of those in my house. (laughs) Like it's tough, right? Um, Some people call it strong-willed. I'm calling it independent. All right. And um, I was an independent child and I was always uh, willing to to put myself out there, always willing uh, to not be afraid and try something new and even sometimes fail at those things. But, man, independence is something that, uh, that I think we seek in our lives. Even for me, I remember I first got married. I was making $1,000 a month, working at a church 90 miles away uh, from where I was in seminary. Had nothing, had no money. And Dad said, well, hey, we can help you out if you need uh, to be helped out. And I was like, no, nah, I got this. Like, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm on my own. Like, you guys are good. I appreciate you. Uh, I'll call you if I, if I find myself in trouble, but I'm fine. I want to be independent so bad. I wanted to be out on my own. And we kind of almost can, can live this way to where we don't want anybody else's help. We, we want to prove to ourselves or prove to somebody else or prove to our parents or prove to our friends that we got this. I, I can handle this. I, I don't need somebody else. I think even this is why anxiety and depression and um, mental health is on the rise in our culture because it's like we need the world to know that on my instagram account man i am the best at this like i got things figured out but when we like look at our real lives we're struggling so we're feeling this imposter syndrome of like i'm not quite there but i need the world to see that i'm perfect and so we're just feeling that struggle on a daily basis how can i go talk to somebody and tell them i don't have this together when that's what i'm the one who teach other people about We feel this sense of independence that's expected of us and what we need to be reminded of is we've got to be dependent on God. We've got to be dependent on Him. We've got to get to a place in our life where we say, I cannot move without speaking to Him first. I cannot go forward without knowing where God wants me to go. That kind of leads to the second thing, is being submissive to God. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22. David says, for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His rules were before me and His statutes I did not put away from me. He says, man, I love the words of the Lord and I apply them to my life because he says I'm submitting to God's leading. Just confessing our weakness is not enough. We have to submit to Him. This means... Sometimes it requires us to get a little bit out of our comfort zone when we submit to the Lord. We like those echo chambers that um, confirm our own bias, our own opinion, right? Like we, we like to get in the Facebook uh, arguments with people that we agree with so that we can be like, you're right, you tell them. We, we like to get in those moments where, where simply people are affirming what we already thought was, was true, We don't really like to be challenged in our ideas. We don't like to find places where people are pushing back. We're looking in this world now for confirmation on what we think we already know. Submission requires us acknowledging we may not know everything. And what the opinion that I care about is the one that's in this book. The opinion that I care about in life is is the one I can find through His leading. The one I can find through dependence on Him. The one I can say, hey, am I pushing people away from the love of God by my actions? That's certainly not something God is expecting me to do. Unless it's a hill worth dying on, then let's die on it. That's what God's telling us. At the end of the day, we're looking for these chambers of people who who can agree with us instead of submitting to God. James 4.7 tells us to submit to God. It's a command, but it's a choice. It means submitting to God with the direction of our lives, With our jobs, with our relationships, with our finances, with the things in life that He has given us. I think sometimes we misunderstand what freedom means, right? Like freedom doesn't mean, well, I can just go do anything. When I was a kid, I used to think um, every other country was just enslaved because this is the home of the free, right? Like U.S., I'm like, we're free. I just can't imagine everybody else, you know, like they don't know what freedom is. Um, But I I realize like freedom is something so much more than that. Freedom is a commitment to a set of ideals. When you get married, right, like you commit to someone, you're like, I'm making a a covenant relationship with you. You don't have the freedom to go do whatever you want to do because you can make some decisions right there to ruin that relationship, to make it very difficult to have a healthy relationship with your spouse. That's not freedom. Freedom is saying, I have committed myself to you and I'm going to walk in this freedom. We're going to walk in that together through this commitment. What submission is, is true freedom and a lot of us are honestly afraid to submit because we've been hurt in the past yeah. you've had relationships maybe even from your childhood maybe from um past relationships and I, look i uh i've had past situations at churches where people have just been harmful to me people that other people in the church look at and go man they're a hero and then behind closed doors just been painful and it's hard sometimes when those people are like that because then you kind of keep everybody else at an arm's length because you don't want to experience that pain and hurt again. And that can happen in our lives. That's why we're not submitting. It's why we're not literally laying everything down before Jesus at his feet and saying, take it all. Take my life. Lead me wherever you want me to go. Because we've been hurt before in the past. Because we've experienced that pain and we felt like we don't want to walk through that again. But Jesus is saying, trust me, I'm dependable, I'm faithful, let that stuff go, don't lean into that, lean into me. David didn't forget where he come from. Remember, David was this guy who was watching the sheep out in the field so much that his dad didn't even believe in him, right? His dad brought every other son in front of Nathan, like, surely this is the one, and Nathan's like, nah, I don't think that's the one. Well, surely this one. No, nope. he's like, got any other sons? He's like, I mean, David out there in the field, right? His dad didn't even have that faith in him. And yet God had huge plans for him. So who are you to put your future, who are you to put your legacy in somebody else's hands? Trust the Lord. Trust what God has for you. The third thing I really want us to mention here is His forgiveness. Forgiveness by God. Forgiven by Him. I'm going to read verse 20 and then 31-33. through verse 20 it says the lord dealt with me according to my righteousness according to the cleanliness of my hands and he rewarded with me 31 it says for who is god but the lord and who is a rock except our god the god who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless he made my feet like the deer or uh, like the feet of a deer and set me secure on heights he's reminding us that more than once god came to his rescue more than once when david messed up god offered him forgiveness and it's not because David was great it's because of how great God is it's not because David had life figured out and he's like David you're just a really good dude it's because of the glory of God through him forgiveness is a really difficult thing if you've had to forgive somebody which I'm assuming you have in this room everybody's probably at some point had to forgive somebody else a difficult thing because we want to forgive somebody but then also be like yeah but I still want to kind of remind you about that every now and then right like that's kind of how we work um maybe I'm just maybe I'm more sinful than you guys but that's how that's how a lot of us work like well I'm gonna forgive you but um keep in mind that I'm the one that's in the right here at the end of the day if we're gonna lead like Jesus does if we're gonna follow his lead we got to learn to forgive There's some families in here, maybe spouses, maybe parent, child, maybe some um, friends. There's some relationships that you've let little things become big, big things. And that level of bitterness is now such a hurdle that you're unwilling to forgive them. Like you didn't unload the dishwasher. And after so many times, it just became such a big deal. that now all of a sudden, it's like every time you see that dishwasher unloaded, you're like, I just I knew it. I knew it was going to be the case, right? Um, Or for me, like it's the socks in the middle of the floor. And you're like, whose socks are these? And I know whose socks they are. You know, like I don't have to ask that question. That's just like the Lord walking in the garden. I'm not like the Lord. But like the Lord walking in the garden going, where are y'all? And Adam and Eve are like, yeah, we're hiding. He's like, I knew that, right? Like, I know whose socks those are. I'm just trying to figure this out. And we let little things like that become big things to where we're unwilling to forgive and is holding our family back from the legacy that he wants for us. Wow. Because we're not learning to forgive the way that he's forgiven. Uh, David even reminds us of Psalm 24 where he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. And then he begins to say in verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not uh, swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Will the legacy that we lead be clean hands, not because of how good we are, but because of the forgiveness that we've been offered by Jesus, and we're offering that forgiveness to the world around us. I'm thankful that he's changed my life forever. I'm thankful that as I stand here, it's not because of my goodness, it's because of his. And I've got to be reminded that this crown was never David's, it was always God's. And in you and I's story, it's the same. No matter how many times you try to rip that crown off God's head and put it on your own, you've got to be reminded God's the one in charge. God's the one in control. He's the one you can depend on. He's the one you can uh, l- lean into. He's the one we want our legacy to be known for. So, how are you leaving your legacy? How are people going to know you? Are they going to know you for something small that a generation or a few years from now dissipates? Or are you leading in such a way that hundreds of years after you and I are are far gone, that this very church has impacted the upstate in such a way because of our commitment, our dependency, our submission to the Lord, our willingness to follow Him wherever He's called us to go. They may never even know our names, but the legacy that we're leading and leaving behind is one pointing to Him. I'm going to invite you guys to pray with me. And I know that there's probably some in this room who maybe have felt like your faith has, in many ways, been a list of do's and don'ts. Your faith, in, in many ways, has been dependent on yourself. And I'm trying to tell you this morning to be dependent on God. And my, my prayer for you is that today would be the day that you settle that. Father, I pray for that person in this room that may be struggling with that question. Maybe be struggling with that decision to give you their whole heart their whole life god even uh, understanding what that means to lay everything down at the table and say god it's all yours it's not about you being a part of our life it's about you having our life father i pray for the person in this room that may be struggling with that that today would be the day of their salvation that you would give them courage to find one of our leaders maybe a, a friend a parent a Uh, group leader, um, whatever the case may be that they're connected with, that today would be the day that they nail that down. God, for all of us as we walk out of this room, teach us to to take every day with a level of intentionality. Help us to embrace that in such a way that we're so dependent on you, so submissive to what you want for us in our lives. God, generations that come behind us who may never know our name will be impacted because of the love and passion and commitment that we have for you here this morning. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.